Thank you, Pastor. Oh, I tell you, what a sweet presence of the Lord. Isn't God good? I tell you. Oh, I love the presence of God. I love worshiping the Lord, don't you? Amen. Praise God. Well, hey, we're, we're glad to see you tonight. Thank you for coming back on Saturday evening. We're going to uh, have a great time tomorrow morning. Uh, bring your energy back tomorrow morning because it'll be a, it'll be a good, uh, a good time, a celebration in the Word. Tonight I want to, uh, give a little bit different direction, but I'll talk about that in a moment. Hey, we brought a book table with us. There's no books, but, uh, it is what I guess we call it an impartation table. So we've got some good CDs back there. I traveled with a, a group called the Rama Singers and Band for about 11 years. And uh, here's a great CD called He'll Do It Again. If you don't have it, it'll be an awesome one uh, for you to enjoy. Got some great ballads and also some some upbeat songs. And then this is my piano CD. I'm out of the inner presence, but this is one called Peace. And it's just piano and, and, you know, you can psalm and sing with that and, and you can, uh, you know, uh, minister to the Lord with it, play it in your home, play it in your car. It's great for just praying in the spirit as well. So it's back there. And then also, uh, I've got this one. It's called, I'm just saying. And so I'm just saying, and we just talk about the fact that you and I are spirit beings created in the image of God, and because we are, uh, quite naturally, our words are of a spiritual nature and origin, and they carry tremendous impact in the natural world in which we live. All right. So, hey, guys, listen. I know we've been with you uh, several times through the years, and and many times, you know, we said we, we'll share things in part or parcel, and then we may mention them again. I kind of want tonight, I had in my spirit, just to give you what I would call, uh, you know how they have State of the Union addresses concerning the nation? I kind of want to give you a State uh, of the Church address of kind of where we are as the body of Christ and, and maybe give us a little insight. I've shared with you uh, some prophetic utterances that Kenneth E. Hagin had prior to his departure, and we discussed those in days gone by, but I want to give you a little further detail and information. Would that be all right? How many of you are familiar with Kenneth E. Hagan? Now, I can't share a lot of these things in many places because it wouldn't have the significance uh, if you're not familiar with the man of the ministry. Uh, I'll give you a little background, and then I want to share some things with you that I think will be a blessing to you. I traveled with Kenneth Hagan for 11 years personally as a part of the crusade team. I I followed his ministry since I was 18 for about 30 years prior to his departure. So we had, you know, some opportunity. We sat in meetings 140 to 150 days a year, two times a day. And so you hear a lot of, of uh, things that maybe you don't get in books or you don't get on, on tape and so forth. Uh, so I want to just uh, share some things with you that I think will be informative. It will be inspirational. And hopefully also as a member of the body of Christ, it will be motivating. Okay. So, uh, in First Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 16, the Apostle Paul writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So that should be comforting. It shouldn't be frightening as a believer, right? 
And then, of course, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 51, the Apostle Paul writing, he said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Uh, at the, uh, excuse me, but we shall all be changed. Give me the next verse. I got out of In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. And when this corruptible shall have put on him corruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? And of course, finally, uh, one that we shared last night in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, Jesus said to the disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So we call these scriptures the blessed hope of every Christian that one day, and I believe very soon, Jesus Christ will come again to receive his church unto himself, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. But before we go, we've got some things to do, right? So, I want to give you a little background about uh, Kenneth E. Hagan. Now, Brother Hagan was born August the 20th, 1917, the same year that the Jews began their migration back to the land of Israel following the British mandate of Palestine. Now, that's very significant because prior to Brother Hagan's uh, uh, birth, his mother uh, was having trouble with the pregnancy. Her husband uh, would come and go, leave, and finally left for good. She's trying to carry uh, care for the children. She's under a lot of stress and so forth. How many of you know you don't have to come from a perfect family to be mighty, mightily used of God? <laughs> we all know that. He did not have uh, a perfect upbringing. He had a very dysfunctional family. So, you know, his wife's having trouble with the pregnancy, uh, and she's just, you know, a few weeks or so before delivery. So she's hungry. She has no food. Uh, she had uh, kind of belabored going to her parents for help because they were opposed to the marriage initially. So she finally swallowed her pride and, and was heading down the sidewalk to her mom's house. Uh, it was a beautiful, sunny August day, and she said there was not a cloud in the sky. And as she went past her Aunt Mary's home, she heard what sounded like uh, wind blowing through the leaves of trees, and yet there were there were no trees. And so she said she went a little further and she heard that wind blowing again. And then she said she looked up into the sky and she said there was a single white cloud suspended in the sky. Earlier there were no clouds, but now there's a single cloud. And she said uh, all of a sudden as she's looking at that cloud, it began to descend rapidly and as it uh, uh, ascended uh, descended out of the sky uh, Jesus appeared on uh, out of that cloud and stepped out on the sidewalk in front of her <laughs> and he said fear not well naturally you need to hear those words you know when the supernatural comes in contact with the natural that's why angels always say fear not but he said fear not 
the child shall be born. This is 1917 now. The child shall be born and shall bear witness concerning my second coming and have a part of the last great revival in the earth. Now, he did give her further instructions, which she did not follow, and I'll clarify in a moment, which was, as John the Baptist bore witness concerning my first coming, he will bear witness concerning my second. Name him John. Well, when she when he disappeared, she said she took off running <laughs> to her mom's house. And when she got there, her mom said, honey, you're white as a ghost. What in the world has happened to you? And she said, I told my mom what happened. And she said, my mother never mentioned it again. I never mentioned it again. She said, in my day, if you told someone that Jesus stepped out of a cloud in front of you on the sidewalk and said something to you, they would lock you up. They would think you were crazy. She said, so I never told a soul, and I named him Kenneth. <laughs> so later in, in Brother Hagin's life, in a subsequent vision, Jesus told off on his mom. He said, hey, I appeared to your mother before you were born, told him the whole story. And he said, uh, he confronted his mom about it, and she said, Honey, it's absolutely the truth, but I just didn't know what to do with it. And so, you know, the, the, the message was, Fear not, the child shall be born, shall bear witness concerning my second coming, have a part of the last great revival in the earth, uh, and, uh, you know, along the order of John the Baptist. So, thinking about that, many people are very much aware of Brother Hagin's ministry or commission, go teach my people faith, which he did for over 40-something years, you know, 70 years of ministry, but emphasize that. But many people are not familiar with, the, with the, uh, in my estimation, an equally important commission, which was to bear witness concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so, Brother Hagin had two visions that pertain specifically to that and to the time and seasons in which you and I are living. And I just want to share them with you. I've mentioned them in days gone by, but I want to reiterate it. Uh, the first one was in 1950, September the 2nd, in Rockwall, Texas. Uh, Brother Hagen was uh, 33 years old. He was a young man. Uh, and, of course, Brother Hagin was a prophet and a teacher. When we say a prophet and a teacher, is that scriptural? Absolutely. How do we know? Because the Bible tells us so. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. When Christ ascended, he gave gifts unto men, first apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So we understand the office of the prophet and the teacher are valid offices in the New Testament dispensation. So as a prophet and a teacher, Brother Hagin had two significant visions that pertain to our discussion. Now, visions are scriptural in the New Testament. How do we know? Well, because Acts 2.17, In the last days, saith God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall what? See visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. So if you do have a dream and you don't want to be considered old, just say it was a vision, right? So it was a night vision. <laughs> So anyway, the first one was uh, September the 2nd, 1950, Rockwall, Texas. He's 33 years old. He, had, he was holding a tent meeting, and he said it had rained all day, not a hard rain, but just a steady rain. 
And he said, so, you know, a lot of farmers would attend and so forth. And so it was pretty muddy. So a very small crowd came out, about 40 people that night. Amazing things can happen in small groups of people. So he said he gave a short Bible lesson. And about 9.30, he asked the people to come down and pray. So he said, I went up on the platform. I knelt by a folding chair. I never expected to happen what did happen. Then I expected to be a man on the moon. He said, but all of a sudden, I heard someone say, come up hither. Well, he said, I thought everybody heard it. Maybe some kid outside was playing outside the tent. I kept praying. He said, then I heard it again. Come up here. Come up hither. And he said, so I opened my eyes. And when I did, there was Jesus standing where the top of the tent pole should be. Now, you understand, not literally, but because he was in the spirit. He said, in a moment of time, all the people disappeared from my view, the tent, the pole, everything. And I'm standing before Jesus. Now, this vision is multifaceted. But I want to share only the parts with you that are pertinent to our discussion. In one facet of this vision, Brother Hagin said he was suspended in what appeared to him to be space. Because there was not a bird, a bush, a tree, nothing, just darkness. And for miles and miles. And then he said, I saw this dot way off on the horizon. And he said, as I was looking at it, it began to come toward me rapidly. And he said, so as it came, I could see it began to take form and shape and I could see it was a horse. And then as it came closer, I could clearly see there was a rider on the horse. And then as he approached me rapidly, he was holding uh, the reins of the horse in his right hand and this scroll above his head in his left hand. Uh, and he said when he, when he approached me, he pulled upon the reins of the horse, passed the scroll from his left hand to the right, handed to Brother Hagin and said, open and read. So he opened the parchment, and it was about 12 to 14 inches long, he said. Now, there were some things on this scroll that pertained specifically to the nation of America, but then there were other things that pertained to the body of Christ as a whole, and that's what I'll emphasize. On the top of this scroll were written these words in bold black letters four or five times, and and the, the angel said, read. And so when he attempted to read, he was struck dumb. So he said that the angel are being put his hand on his head and said, read in Jesus' name. And he was loosed and began to read it. The people in the tent heard him reading it. He said, um, the first thing was, the time of the end. This is 1950 now. The time of the end of all things is at hand. The time of the end of all things is at hand. The time of the end of all things is at hand. Four or five times bold black letters. Then he said, Jesus said to me, this is the last great revival. Now, we tend to think in weeks, months, years, God deals in decades and centuries. (laughs) His time's a little different than ours. But he said, Jesus said to me, this is the last great revival. And then he said it was written on the scroll these words. As it was in the days of Noah, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. As I finally spoke to Noah and said, in yet seven days, uh, 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 in yet seven days, I... Uh, I will destroy every living thing that I have created from the face of the earth. Uh, how did I, I have to get in my spirit. This stuff's not in my head. And yet seven days, uh, I will, 
I guess as the rains, you know, came, I will destroy every living thing that I have created uh, from the face of the earth. And then he said, even now, I'm speaking to this generation. The point was, as it was in the days of Noah, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. As I finally spoke to Noah and said, in yet seven days, I will cause it to rain forty days and forty nights and shall destroy every living thing that I've created from the face of the earth. Even now, I'm speaking to this generation. And he told Brother Hagin, warn this generation. Now, there were some things pertaining to America. But then he also said, Warn this generation. Tell them the time they have left is comparable to the last seven days of Noah prior to the flood. (laughs) We're in the seventh decade since that vision. And he said, uh, uh, tell my people, I'm preparing them for my coming. Judgment will come upon the earth, but I will take them out before the worst shall come. Hallelujah, that's good news. Then he said, he turned to me a second time, and he said, of course, he said, the church shall begin to make tremendous advancements through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he said, they will far exceed uh, the impact and the workings of the early church recorded in the book of Acts. And then, of course, he said once again to me a second time, this is the last great revival. And then he said the final words on that scroll were, the time of the end of all things is at hand. So let's recap that. 1950, uh, the time of the end of all things is at hand. The church shall begin to do exceedingly abundantly above uh, uh, what the early church accomplished. Uh, we'll move in the power of the Spirit and make a tremendous impact in the earth. This is the last great revival, the time of the end of all things is at hand. Warn this generation. Tell them the time they have left is comparable to the last seven days of Noah prior to the flood. That's the first vision. All right, so the second one was 12 years later. He's in Houston, Texas, December the 12th. He's 45 years old now. And he's in a small group of people in Houston, Texas, and he is recounting to them the vision of 1950 where in that vision, which I did not discuss with you, Jesus laid his hands in each of the palms and commissioned him with a healing anointing. You're probably familiar with that. Well, in his day, the healing ministry was frowned upon and people that carried that were ridiculed particularly in Pentecostalism and so he had backed off of it he was embarrassed he didn't want the persecution so he was telling them about that vision and he realized I have not been obedient to God in the healing ministry so he said he got down on his knees right there in front of everybody just to repent before them and before God and when his knees hit the platform He said all of a sudden the Holy Ghost came upon him and he fell into a trance and had a vision. Now is that scriptural? Sure. Peter, it's up on the housetop, Acts chapter 9, fell into a and had a vision, right? (laughs) 
So this is scriptural. So he's 45 years old. He said, all of a sudden, here I am in this vision, walking up to this beautiful flower garden. It was surrounded by a white picket fence. Roses were all over that fence profusely, and the, and the aroma was amazing. He said, I walked up to the fence. Jesus met me at the gate. He said, he opened the gate, uh, took me by my right hand, pulled me through the gate, closed the gate with his left hand, and he said, we held hands and walked down this center uh, uh, path to an arbor, which was likewise covered with, with roses and flowers. And he said that the aroma was amazing, and there were two white marble seats. He said, Jesus sat on one in motion for me to sit down on the other. He said, I'd come in from the east. So I was looking toward the west. And he said, as I was looking toward the western part of the garden, there was this huge river. Uh, it, it went up into the sky and it was about 50 feet at its widest diameter and then it narrowed as it came into this garden and it was pouring tons of water into the garden. And he said, all of a sudden, I'm looking at this water and he said, right before my very eyes, the water became people, millions of people. And he said they were dressed in every walk of life. There were men in suits, women in evening gowns, blue-collar workers, housewives, people from every walk of life. And they were flowing into this garden by the millions. And he said, I turned to Jesus and I said, Lord, what is this river? And Jesus said to me, he said, this is that which I will do. Now, this is 1962. This is that which I will do now in these last days. I am going to visit hungry hearts. He said, the people that you see flowing into this garden are what you call. And he, notice Jesus told him, because Brother Hagin is what you call full gospel. He said, what you call denominational people. He said, also people from other religions. He said, I am going to visit hungry hearts in every denomination, every religion of the world. He said, places that you never thought I would visit, I'm going to visit in these last hours. And I'm going to bring them into the fullness of salvation and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And he said, and you will have a part of this. Now see, friends... Uh, if you, if you weren't alive, if you're young, you know, like the, you know, 20 and in their 20s, you don't understand. But in 1962, friends, there were no Zoe life, uh, Zoe Christian fellowships. The Rock, Living Word, none of that existed. There were only mainline denominational churches, and thank God for them, Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, Catholic, Lutheran, all the mainline denominational churches, plus the, the Pentecostal uh, denominations of the Assemblies of God and the Church of God. So that, that was about the, the scope of the church. But Jesus said, this is the last great revival. Here we go. I'm going to visit hungry hearts. Every denomination, every religion, places you never thought I, I would bring, uh, visit, and I'm going to bring them into the fullness of salvation and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And he told Brother Hagin, you'll have a part of it. Remember the thing he told to his mom? A part of the last great revival. So I thought, wow, that's pretty interesting. You know, we're always praying for revival and thank God for it. <laughs> 
But in the mind of God, we've been in revival since 1950. This is it. This is the last great revival. So I told my wife, I said, all right now. If, if Jesus said this is the last great revival, even though we have had different waves through the different decades and emphasis and they've been very much God, we've been in a constant flow of revival, uh, globally speaking. And that's what I want you to see tonight. God, you know, sometimes we look at our particular sphere of vision and we don't realize what's going on on a global scale. So I told my wife, I want to do some investigation. So I spent a couple of weeks on the internet, man, and I looked at various sources and I began to see Wow, we have been in revival for 50 years. Now, let me give you some statistics, for example. In the 1960s on the continent, I'm talking about the whole continent of Africa, which is comprised of multiple nations, there were only about 10 million Christians on the whole continent of Africa, right? In in a little over 50 years, that 10 million has grown to over 500 million. Every single month, 20,000 conversions to Christianity on the continent of Africa. Every single month. Glory to God. Amen. Did I say month? I mean day. Every day. Right? Is that what I mean? I believe every single day. Let me see if I've got that written anywhere. Yeah, every single day, 20,000 a day, uh, 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 people are converted to Christianity. They say by 2025, Nigeria will be the epicenter of Christianity. <laughs> it is something else, and I go there. Ooh, it's on fire. So, you know, and then uh, uh, China, you think about China, uh, you know, in the 1950s, the communist regime expelled all the missionaries from China. They left behind 3 million Catholics and 1 million Protestants. Since the 1960s and forward, that 1 million in China has grown to over 200 million evangelical Christians. Now that's just the ones we can count. Every single day in China, anywhere from 10 to 25,000 Chinese are converted to Christianity. Glory to God. These are organizations like 2020 Open Door Ministries. You combine these statistics. It is absolutely fascinating. And the revival there in China is characterized by signs, wonders, miracles, uh, divine interventions, you know, resurrections of the dead. Uh, just tremendous things are happening there in China. Uh, let's see uh, another Latin America. Uh, in Latin America in the 1960s, there were 18 million evangelicals in the whole of Latin America, 18 million. 12.6 uh, Pente- million Pentecostals in Latin America. In 50 years, the evangelical population has grown from 18 million to 480 million. The Catholic Church tells us that 35,000 Catholics convert every single day from Catholicism to evangelical Christianity, and 70% of all of them are baptized in the Holy Ghost and speak in other tongues. Woo! Glory to God! Uh, India, you think about India, there are 85 million believers in India. Did you know that India is fifth in the world for Pentecostal Christianity? It's behind uh, China, excuse me, uh, 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 Brazil, United States, 
China, Nigeria, and then India. Every single month in India, 100,000 Hindus are converted to Christianity. Every single month. Now, we need to pray for India because of the, the current leadership there is really persecuting uh, Christianity. So we want to be in, in prayer for them. But how many of you have heard of a little country named Nepal? little Himalayan country. You know, prior to 1960, it was against the law to be a Christian and live in Nepal. <laughs> now in the mid-1960s, they had 25 registered Christians in the whole country. Now uh, uh, they have over a million converts. There's 75 districts in that little country. Every district has a church. Woo! Glory to God. Amen. So things are happening, even among the, the the Muslims. Well, let me tell you this, South Korea, you know, at the turn of the century, 1900, uh, South Korea had been deemed impenetrable to the gospel. There were no Protestant churches in South Korea. From the 1960s forward, 33% of South Korea is now Christian. They have 7,000 churches in Seoul, Korea alone, and some of those have over a million parishioners. South Korea sends more missionaries around the world than any other nation, second only now to the United States of America. All that in 50 years. When Jesus said, here we go, man, it started. And I mean, it's been like a fire all over the globe for the last 50 years. Even in the Muslim countries, uh, Joe Purcell, you know, Joe and Mary Purcell, Joe sent me a link uh, between uh, a Saudi cleric and a fellow Muslim on Al Jazeera satellite television. And they were doing an interview. And they had the subtitles. And so this interviewer or this cleric said to the interviewer, he said, a tragedy is occurring in Islam. And he said, what is the tragedy, sir? He said, 667 an hour, 16,000 a day, almost 6 million a year of our Muslims are converting to Christianity. And the interviewer said, you're mistaken. You mean from all other religions to Christianity, 6 million a year. He said, no, from Islam alone. Did you know that Iran is one of the top 10 persecutors of Christians in the world? And yet every single month, 500 Iranians come to Christ. And you know, the beautiful part of that is that 70% of their population is 30 years old and younger, which means these young men and women are coming to Christ at a great price. Uh, Indonesia is one of the largest Muslim countries in the world. Every single year, a million converts to Christianity. They have some of the largest Christian churches in the world in Indonesia, 25,000, 50,000. Uh, uh, Sudan, uh, you know, large Muslim uh, population. Uh, uh, they've had a million converts uh, to Christianity in the last 10 years. So I'm saying all this to say, friends, the church of, of Christ is alive and well. The harvest is being reaped. We are the largest religion in the world, 2.18 billion. We are the fastest growing religion in the world, an annual increase of 6.9% as compared to the Muslims at 2.7, the Hindus at at 2.2 and the Buddhist at 1.7. We're, we're, I mean, we have far exceeded the impact of the book of Acts. I mean, think about it. 
The largest number we had saved in the book of Acts at one time, 3,000 and then 5,000. That happens every 24 hours now. (laughs) Excuse me, every 25 minutes now that happens. When you close your eyes and open your your eyes tomorrow, there'll be 175,000 more Christians on the planet. Woo! Wonder if we're in the last days. Absolutely. I mean, the body of Christ is exploding in the earth. And so, the you know, the news media, you're not going to hear that. And listen, don't feel so sorry for America. I know, I know people, you know, feel like, you know, America's really, really on the downswing. And, 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 you know, spiritually speaking, hunger levels and things like that, we may be. That's why I do believe that there's going to come a shaking, you know, in some form or fashion. And guess what? When, when it happens, you're going to be here. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. You're going to be here and ready to impact these people's lives for the kingdom of God. Because when a person who is an unbeliever, I mean, their natural world starts shaking, they have a tendency to look to God. You remember (laughs) 9-11? All the churches and um, cathedrals, everything was packed for about two weeks. Why? Because, man, people start looking. So, Brother Hagin, Jesus told him, Tell my people, judgment will come upon the earth. I'll take them out before the worst shall come. Which tells me we'll be here long enough to see some things so that we can be a light shining in the darkness. We can be that city on a hill and they'll come running. How many of you believe it? So amazing, amazing things are happening. Uh, you know, uh, the largest number we see baptized in the Holy Ghost in the book of Acts at one time, 120, right? That happens by the acre now in these mass crusades all over the world. So the body of Christ is alive and well. So, you know, the main thing I wanted to, to touch on this evening, I wanted to show you, first of all, what's happening. Glorious things every single day uh, where the body of Christ is concerned. But then the question is, you know, what do we do now? What's God's plan well, quite naturally, his plan is the same one it, when it always has been. <laughs> Go into all the world, preach the gospel, right? He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. But in essence, God's plan, uh, you know, it's not in some kind of code. His plan very basically is you and me. It's the sons and the daughters, the servants and the handmaidens. Born of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, impacting people's lives for the kingdom in a supernatural way. Can you say amen? Uh, Because the Bible says in Acts 2, we've already looked at it, but we're going to look again, verse 17 through 19. Notice what it says. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Right? Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And upon my what? My servants and my handmaidens. Not Notice, not upon the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, and teachers exclusively. This is now the time for the body of Christ. We always will value and appreciate the fivefold ministry. But God is wanting to mobilize the body because Jesus is coming. Right? And so he said... Uh, Upon my servants and my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit. And notice, they shall prophesy. 
And I will show uh, signs in the heavens above, or wonders in the heavens above, signs in the earth beneath, blood, fire, vapor of smoke. But notice verse 21, this is the goal. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So this is what we're doing. You know, sometimes we think, well, you know, we're just having church. But you know, you're a very mature body. Do you know you've been taught so well here? You know the Word of God. You know the Spirit of God. And I just want you to get ready. Because I think you're going to be greatly surprised (laughs) at all these deposits that have been made in your spirit through the years. And God is going to begin to bring people, I'm telling you, when this stuff hits, and you're going to have the goods to minister to them effectively. But it's about the sons, it's about the daughters, it's about the servants, and it's about the handmaidens. So in one sense of the word, it's about ordinary people doing extraordinary things through the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit. You know, I've said before, when the Holy Spirit of God came on the day of Pentecost, the world would never be the same again. His entrance marked the beginning of a new time, a new day, a new season, a new way of doing things. Just 120 ordinary people in an upper room. Upon having an encounter with the Holy Spirit of God, they made an impact on the entire city of Jerusalem. I mean, that day transformed, you know, 120 ordinary people into extraordinary lives. It took a group of individuals who were timid and fearful and it transformed them into bold and courageous believers anointed of the Holy Ghost. The visitation of God was so powerful on that day, 120, that thousands were saved. The visitation of God was so powerful on that day that people in the cities round about Jerusalem, remember, they brought their sick and their lame and their oppressed and they laid them in the streets and the Bible says they were healed, every one of them. Acts 5.16. Woo! Glory to God. Well, if they can have it, we can have it. Woo! And I'm expecting it. Glory to God. So, thinking about that, and God attempting to mobilize us. And and this is our season as the body of Christ. It's the last one, man. I'm telling you, Jesus is coming. And he wants to use every single person seated in this building. But I'm reminded of, of a vision in 1987, just prior to our annual camp meeting. Brother Hagen had a vision uh, three hours long. It was part visitation, part revelation. But in this vision, and it was multifaceted once again, but there's one statement that stood out to me. It's recorded in a book called Plans, Purposes, and Pursuits. But Jesus told Brother Hagin in this vision, he said, you know, there are things that I have wanted to do in the earth and through the church that I have been unable to do because of a lack of cooperation. Now, can you believe such a statement as that? Jesus Christ, the King of kings, Lord of lords, head of the church, the almighty God said, there are things that I have desired to do. In the earth, 
through the church that I've been unable to do because of a lack of cooperation. But you know it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Because even in the natural, my head, this physiological head, is dependent upon this body to carry the head. It doesn't matter how much my head wants to walk over to Nikolai. If this body doesn't carry the head, the head's not going anywhere. Well, Jesus Christ is the head, Colossians tells us. We're the body. The purposes of the head are always contingent upon the cooperation of the body. But now here's the dilemma as a believer. I cannot and you cannot participate in things we do not perceive. You listening? I cannot and you cannot participate in things we do not perceive. And we cannot perceive the leadings of the Spirit unless we are living and walking in the Spirit. And God needs us to live in the Spirit. Now, when I talk about walking in the Spirit, I'm not talking about walking in some kind of trance and state of euphoria and being goofy. I'm talking about a place that we occupy in God through fellowship and communion of the Holy Ghost where we see things and we know things and we perceive things that we would not see or know or perceive otherwise. Does that make sense? Notice, you know, Revelation chapter 1 verse 5. Notice what the Apostle John said. Just the first part. He said, I... Uh, is that Revelation 1-5? I was, I must have the wrong one then. How 110? Yeah, 110. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Everybody say, in the Spirit. Now, now, notice what he said. I was in the Spirit of the Lord's day, and then he goes on and tells us, and because I was, I saw things. I heard things that I would not have seen or heard otherwise. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9 beginning there. 1 Corinthians 2 9. Notice what the apostle Paul said. He said, I have not seen, neither ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him, but he has revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Now notice, for what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man, save the Spirit of God. Right? Now we have received not the Spirit which is of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but in that which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing Spiritual things with spiritual. But now this is the part I want you to get. Verse 14. For the natural man does what? The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit because they are what? Foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they're what? Spiritually discerned. So Paul said, listen, a natural man cannot perceive. One says receive. Another translation says perceive the things of the Spirit. So here's the question, not for condemnation purposes, but just to prove a point. If a natural man cannot perceive the things of the Spirit, can a carnal man 
probably not as readily. Right? If we're absorbed more in natural things than spiritual things, then quite naturally our our spiritual sensitivity will be limited. And if the head is depending upon our cooperation for his purposes, then I need to be in a position where I can perceive the leadings of the Spirit, right? So that I can participate. Uh, So... Uh, I can't participate in things which I don't perceive. Acts 14, 8 through 10. Remember when Paul's preaching here in Lystra, and there was a man that was impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak. Uh, Now notice Paul. Notice Paul. Who steadfastly beholding him and what? Perceiving that he had faith to be healed. So here's what's happening. Paul's preaching, and all of a sudden, man, you ever had that happen to you? You look at someone, and the Holy Spirit begins to communicate with you about that person. Something they need, or you need to pray for them, or a manifestation or gift of the Spirit. Paul steadfastly beholding him and perceiving. That's where we need to be right now as the body of Christ, beholding and perceiving. Uh, said, stand upright on thy feet. And the man, of course, walked and leaped and praised God. So the point is, I think sometimes the most effective ministry is that which is led by and empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know, particularly in ministering to other people. That's the way Jesus operated. Uh, uh, John 5, verse 19. This is his own testimony. Look what he said. Verily I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of Himself. Whatever He sees the Father do, that's what the Son does likewise. So basically, what is He telling us? I really live my life as a man, even though anointed by the Spirit, Son of God. I'm living my life and I'm executing my ministry in direct response to the Father's leading through the person of the Holy Spirit. And He was highly effective. Do you think we can minister like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. He's our example. So he just responded to the leading of the Father. What he saw the Father do, that's what he did. What he heard him say, that's what he said. And we don't mean you're walking around having visions all the time or hearing voices. There could be the still small voice. You could have a vision. But more than more than uh, not, it is what? The perception of the Spirit. You're perceiving. You're sensing that God wants to minister uh, here or minister there to these individuals. So, you know, once again, this is about ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Now, my sister, uh, she's not a Bible graduate, Bible school graduate. She doesn't have an arsenal of Bible verses at her disposal. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but, you know, one thing she's always done is she just lives in the presence, like you were talking about when we're singing that song. Oh, she just lives there. If she's washing dishes, she's singing a worship song. If she's vacuuming, I love you, Jesus. She just stays. Even though you're engaged in the natural, you can still stay tuned in in the spirit. In You know, when you're doing things that doesn't involve mental engagement, so to speak. So she just fellowships. And she has the most amazing experiences as a result. See, participating in the things we perceive. I'll just tell you one of them. Uh, 
Uh, she said she was going down to make a deposit at the bank through the drive through She wasn't going into the bank. She had no makeup on. So she's not going in. Southern girls like their makeup. And they're not going in without it. <clears throat> so she said, Bob, I was riding. <laughs> she said, and I passed this antique store on the left. She said, I pass it all the time going to the bank. And she said, uh, I sensed in my spirit. Now, not a vision, not a voice. I sense, see, that I should go into that antique store. I just felt drawn. She said, but I didn't have any makeup on, so I kept driving. <laughs> so she said, you know, the further I went, though, she said, I know the voice of the Spirit. And I, I was grieved. I knew I was. So I turned around. I went back into the parking lot of that antique store. And she said, I got out and I went in looking at antiques because I had no idea why I was there. <laughs> See, this is believers on assignment. Right? And if you look in the book of Acts, it wasn't in the synagogues and the churches. They were out in the streets, in the highways and byways. That's where we want to be. Right? Impacting people. So anyway, she said, I was in there. All of a sudden, I saw a man and woman over in the distance. And they were talking to one another. And she said, she calls me Bubba Bubba. When I saw that woman, I knew she was my divine target. Now see, this is where faith and the Holy Ghost comes in. When you have a leading, it takes faith to act on it. Right? So she went over to the lady and she said, excuse me, I don't mean to interrupt your conversation. But she said, Marty, I looked right at her and I said, but ma'am, I'm here on assignment from Almighty God. And she said, I didn't even know what the assignment was. <laughs> but she said, when I spoke those words and took that step of faith, she said, that woman started weeping profusely and began to tell her story right there in the antique store. And she said, when I was a young child, I went to Sunday school. My neighbors had taken me and I'd gotten saved. I remember singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, and asking Jesus in my heart. But she said, all these years, I've been backslidden. I haven't really had a church or a pastor. She said, you know, but the most pressing thing, even though I've communicated with him off and on through the years, she said, but the most pressing thing is I've been diagnosed with cancer seven places in my body and they've given me no hope and she said I have been crying out to God to save me and to deliver me and she said to think and she said she must have she was crying to think he would come and visit me here in an antique store and you know he will if the sons and the daughters and the servants and the handmaidens if we'll pick up on it take our divine cues right Woo, I mean, there's some amazing, amazing adventures for us. So my sister said, well, well, honey, that's why he sent me. And so, you know, I said, she doesn't know an arsenal of Bible verses, but she knows enough to be dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. <laughs> so she prayed right there with her in the, in the antique store. She talked to her, first of all, about the love of God, the steadfast love of the Lord, never ceasing the mercies of God, being new every morning, you know, to give her a sense of confidence and, and, and so forth. And, you know, loved on her a little bit. And she said, now let me pray for you with your healing. So she laid hands on her right there in the antique store, didn't make a big scene. She just said, in the name of Jesus, and this is what she said she heard herself pray, in the name of Jesus, I command the spirit of fear and death to come out of you. 
And she said, now, I don't know why I said that, but that's the way I prayed. And she said, you know, sometimes there are spirits of infirmity enforcing sickness and disease. You realize that. Not always, but sometimes. So she addressed that. And she said, the lady just started weeping. My sister took her in her arms, you know, loved her in a little bit. Now she's ready to go. So she's about to take off. And the woman said, could I take your picture with my cell phone? She said, well, sure. So she took her picture, got her phone number. And you know the story. Uh, I don't know how long, maybe a month or so, four weeks so, or so, uh, maybe five or more. She got a call from this lady. She said, Miss Blackwater, do you remember me? And my sister said, of course I do. She said, I wanted to call and tell you something. I got to feeling so much better. I went back to the doctors. I asked them to run tests. They said it's not necessary. She said, please. So they did. And she said, when the test came back, it was all negative. <laughs> no cancer anywhere in my body. <laughs> Guess what? That didn't happen in church. With the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. It was the handmaiden full of the Holy Ghost. Just ready. Right? So I had a couple of Jehovah's Witness come up to my door. And I went out on the stoop to talk with them. And you had the trainer and the trainee. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so, you know, the trainee, he's trying to do his best to, to go over his little uh, road map. And, and bless his heart, he couldn't find a scripture, so I'm trying to help him. You know, I didn't want, he, he was doing, trying to do something, but he just couldn't find the scriptures, and I'm trying to be cordial and kind. So I'm helping him. And, uh, and I noticed as he's trying to talk to me, he's holding the side, side of his face like this in pain, grimacing. And so I finally said to him, I said, what's the matter with you? And he said, I'm so sorry. He said, I don't know. I'm in such pain right now. He said, I must have an abscess tooth or something. And well, when he said that, I got a, an impression, boing, just kind of a, a sense. And I said, hey, can I make you a deal? He said, well, I guess so. I said, now, listen, I've listened with kindness and I was cordial to what you're saying. I said, but I'm a born again Christian. I believe Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through Him. There is no other name given among men whereby you must be saved. I said so. And I'm also baptized in the Holy Spirit. So I want to share with you, if you don't mind, I said very briefly, I just want to share with you what I believe to be, uh, you know, the path to salvation, what we call the Roman road or the four spiritual laws. And I said, and if what I share with you is valid and true, that same Jesus will heal you instantly. Deal? He said, deal. Now, the trainer wasn't excited about it, but the trainee was because he was hurting. And so, and I may have told this to you before, but anyway, so I just, I'm out there. So I shared with him, you know, very briefly. And I said, now let me pray for you. And I put my hand on the side of his face like this. And I didn't go, woo! You know, you can save that for church, right? I don't want to scare the daylights out of anybody on the front porch. So it doesn't take a lot of motion, you know. I just put my hand gently on the side of his face because the power's in the name and the leading. So I said, in the name of Jesus. And I wanted to get it all in. So I said, the name above every name. The name whereby men must be saved. <laughs> that name. Be healed. I took my hand off. God is my witness. His eyes got big as saucers. The pain left him instantly. He said, it's gone. It's gone. And the trainer grabbed him and ran off. He said, we got to go. <laughs> I'm chasing him down the sidewalk. Wait a minute now. <laughs> we got to close the deal here, right? Friends, did you know God will heal sinners? 
Don't even believe in Him? Oh, absolutely. It's advertisement. I had a drunk guy come up. Uh, I was with him one night and, and, uh, you know, he's drunk as a skunk, you know, and I said, listen, I said, don't you know God loves you? I know it. Don't you know he doesn't want you to live this way? Yeah. I think he'd been familiar with Jesus and his childhood and so forth. I said, now, <laughs> there's a better way. So anyway, I just, I, I stretched out my hand and I said, take my hand. Well, when I took his hand, God is my eternal witness. The anointing of the Holy Spirit evaporated all the alcohol in his blood instantly. And he, he cussed. He said, D. I'm sober. <laughs> I said, I know you are because God wants you to pay attention to what I'm telling you. What? <laughs> and I just prayed with him the prayer of salvation. I said, now here's 20 bucks. I want you to, I walked him over. I want you to get you something to eat. Don't get any booze, you know, and just remember God loves you and so forth. But I mean, God will do that for people. And he wants to use all of us. Now I don't mean to talk your ears off, but dear Lord, y'all listen good. So once again, this is about ordinary people doing supernatural uh, things through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the, the point is, you know, when we said that we can't participate in things we don't perceive, we can't perceive the leadings of the Spirit unless we're right walking in the Spirit. And, and I can't walk in the Spirit unless I'm staying filled with the Spirit. Right. So in that 1987 vision, Jesus told Brother Hagin, he said, would you tell my people... I need them to stay filled with the Spirit. Not just initially baptized with the Spirit. I need them to stay filled with the Spirit. Now, can I tell you one part of that first vision of 1950? I didn't tell you. When, remember when he said, come up hither? And he's standing before Jesus at the top of that tent pole. The very first thing that happened was, he said, Jesus was holding this crown, crown that had the most beautiful jewels you've ever seen in your life. He said, it was beyond words. And he said, I asked him, what is that crown? And he said, Jesus said to me, this is the soul winner's crown. But now listen to the next words. But he said, but I say to my people, go here. Go there, minister to this one, speak to that one. And he said, they're so busy and preoccupied, they miss what we would call their divine cues. And as a result, souls are lost, he said, and people go unministered to. So what are we going to do in these last hours while we're here? We're going to up our spiritual sensitivity. And one way we're going to walk in the Spirit is by staying filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. Be not drunk with wine where is in excess. What? Be filled with the Spirit. And may I submit to you just for your consideration that one way you and I can stay filled with the Spirit, and you know it, You've been taught it and you do it. But just a little more exhortation along these lines is to to incorporate into our lives on a daily consistent basis certain spiritual habits that nurture a life in the Spirit. And one of them, of course, is reading the Word, yes. But friends, there's something about praying in the Spirit that elevates your spiritual consciousness. 
and allows us to perceive things that we do not perceive otherwise. Believe me, I know from experience, I have been dull and I have been sensitive. I have prayed less and I have prayed more. And when I pray more, it is amazing the perception that you have, spiritually speaking. Now, what do we mean pray in the Spirit? 1 Corinthians 14, uh, verse uh, 2, we let the Bible interpret the Bible. If I speak in an unknown tongue, I speak not unto men, but unto God. How be it? In the Spirit. He speaks mysteries, right? So Paul equates praying in tongues with praying in the Spirit. Now, is it beneficial? Well, obviously, 1 Corinthians 14 You know it, verse 14 and 15. If I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? What's the conclusion? I'm going to pray in both realms. I'll pray with the understanding. I'll pray with the spirit. I'll pray with the understanding also. I'll sing with the spirit. I'll sing with the understanding also. I'm going to pray. I'm going to worship in both dimensions. Now, we said, is it beneficial? Obviously so. The Apostle Paul said, 1 Corinthians 14, 18 and 19, look what he said. I thank my God. I speak in tongues more than all of you. <laughs> now notice. But now in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. So here's what he said. He said, now listen, I pray in the Spirit more than all of you, but it's not in the church. Then where was it? In his personal, private, devotional life, Paul obviously prayed excessively in the Spirit. And he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament by revelation. Right? I mean, he had signs, wonders, and miracles. He was a man of the Spirit. And that's what God wants for us to be. So we're going to up our game, right? We're going to up our game. We're going to pray more in the Holy Ghost. Uh, I I love, I'll just give you a a couple of quotes and then we're going to stop. But Howard Carter, how many of you have heard of Howard Carter? He was the uh, founder of the first Pentecostal Bible College in Great Britain. And he said, speaking in tongues is not just to be the initial evidence of being filled with the Spirit. It is to be a continual source of infilling throughout one's life. Right? Smith Wigglesworth, 27 people raised from the dead. Anybody know him? (laughs) He knows something about the power of the Holy Ghost. Notice what he said. He said, it is a luxury to be filled with the Spirit, but it is also a divine command not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. And he said, no Pentecostal person ought to get out of bed in the morning without first being lost in the Spirit, speaking in other tongues. (laughs) He wouldn't even let a newspaper in his house. Did you know that? He said, that's a bunch of lies. Nothing but the truth comes over the threshold of that door. Woo! But he said, I maintain the opinion. If one would be continually filled with the Spirit, he will speak in the Spirit morning, noon, and night. Let's make it a habit. Right? Not a show for, you know, but a habit personally. When we're in the car, when we're in the shower, when we're walking quietly along the sidewalk, you know. 
Let's just start cultivating that, that supernatural life. And then finally, uh, John G. Lake, and this is our, our final. John G. Lake said, and I quote, he said, I want to speak to you with the utmost frankness concerning this particular language of tongues, which I speak mostly in the nighttime, he said. For I have found it to be not only the source of power that I operate in on a daily basis, but also an invaluable source of revelation knowledge that I preach to people every day. Well, is it a source of power? Is that is that scriptural? Well, we should be able to substantiate it. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4. Very first part of the verse. If I speak in an unknown tongue, he who speaks in an unknown tongue does what? 1 Corinthians 14, 4. Edifies himself. He that prophesies edifies the church. So there's an edification that occurs. <clears throat> I love the, the Knox translation. He who speaks in an unknown tongue strengthens his own faith. The Beck translation. He who speaks in an unknown tongue encourages himself. And this is my favorite, the Webster. He who speaks in an unknown tongue receives an uplifting and strengthening influence. Woo! Who's that? The Holy Ghost. Man, we quote these scriptures, but they're powerful. Listen to this one. Jude, verse 20. Beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Let's do that. Listen to this translation. Fortify yourself. Strengthen yourself. Now listen. Sustain yourself. That's what we're talking about. Sustaining ourselves in the Spirit. Doing what? Praying in the power of the Holy Ghost, one translation says. This is our heritage. We are men and women of faith. We are men and women of the Holy Ghost. And and just get ready. I'm telling you, we're about to see some things. When this stuff starts shaking, people are, I mean, you're going to run into people on the streets. God's going to use you. To minister supernaturally to people. I'm looking for miracles. I'm looking for signs and wonders through the hands of who? The believers. Woo! It should, it's going to become commonplace. Right? We're going to wrap this thing up in grand style as the body of Christ. We've been in revival for 50 years. We're going out with a bang. Woo! It's going to be awesome. So let's stay filled. What do you say? So can we take just a few moments to drink of the Spirit? To drink deeply of the Spirit. And one way we can drink of the Spirit is to speak in the Spirit. You know, uh, Paul used that analogy on purpose. He said, now don't be drunk with wine. Be filled, uh, intoxicated with the Holy Spirit. Now he said, I'm giving you this principle. How do you get drunk in the natural? You drink until... Your blood is saturated with the substance of alcohol. Now, he gave us that example on purpose. He said, you can likewise be filled with the Spirit in the same manner, different substance, same principle. You drink until. You speak until. You worship and pray until. You're saturated. And then you can, if you want to stay drunk, what do you do? Keep drinking. <laughs> Amen. 
So let's all stand up. I want you to start my track, Brother Darrell. Let's stand up and let's just pray in the Spirit uh, a little bit together. Now listen, if you've never been baptized with the Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, uh, I'll be happy to pray for you. Uh, would love to lay hands on you and we'll all join uh, in doing that if you're familiar. If you're not confident yet in exactly what the baptism is, I do have a CD called Empowered for Living. I give you line upon line, precept upon precept along those lines. And then I coach you into receiving. But if you would like to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you never have, I'll be happy to pray for you right now. Is there anyone in the house? Uh, you're born again, but you've never been baptized with the Spirit and you'd like to be. Raise your hand. I'll be happy to pray for you. Anyone at all? Anyone? All right. Now give me just a little more volume on that track. So I'm going to, I'm going to say that I suppose everyone's born again and probably most are filled with the Spirit. So I want us just to begin to drink of the Spirit for a moment. Let's get a fresh infilling. Let's pray in the Holy Ghost. And, and, you know, we don't have to holler, but we do want to speak. Speak out of the depths of your spirit. Are you ready? Out of the bolstery. And this is not for necessarily interpretation, but for personal edification among believers. Estu coro di baburusha la faste frenemol mando abresto frideke. Oh, let's speak. Go ahead. Drink of your of the spirit. Draw out of your well. Lavuri di mani ne mosele di bello dotre ada du casula de balangele di gileste katici. Lord, fill every vessel in this house with a fresh anointing of the Holy Ghost. Anoint the sons and the daughters the servants and the handmaidens to minister to people supernaturally. You've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. This is our hour. This is our season. This is our time. O remosil of digestus Ore de varais of rego rigi de gato. On de bugasore secre de gros de tatra. Ye zuborosta lavacie. Ye sore de varego goron de bacazo de debor de citriete. Oh, we worship you, Lord. We worship you, Jesus. Non sararavara di asora de vestenji. Yet sur de barrasore de vosse nonni ne surigerat. Yet sur de bastare de borria coriant. Yet sur de bordi arriger de barraiseric. Yet bocasitare de arriger or de bacazara. Ora sandere de barricior de borra sigli egli gliglegere de de battisa la dusa taia. Every vessel, Lord, the young, the old, the in-between, every vessel, Lord, anoint them tonight, a fresh oil. Yes, 
le morose per reggere le vaste case recche l'esto corro si carregge Orde va reggere de borronda, ba basta de de le, 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 gresto co. You've brought them to the kingdom for such a time as this, Lord. Every one of us. Ore de va reggere de bado de bosola de gigrieteke. To be used in a supernatural way. La sore de va reggere The foundations of this house have been settled and securely laid. And I know that you're going to bring people into this storehouse that need what they possess. And I thank you that every vessel will be ready. Every vessel will be filled. Every vessel will be prepared to minister by your spirit, in your spirit, and through your spirit. Saradeva regere di barusa faraja takarasa. Ora sogarina di badi dele dele cecro dibra ambra. Oh, just a few more moments. Less surdi verege. Zero di varuge. Draw deep out of your spirit. Ora di mighty dividi videlietosca. Brown seferige dele desco staciaca. Yazu di de boroja. John Zebora sealed alan Jesus este peparu da la dija le namo non da la divadi delese grossa la da valaccia ora sarro zevrecie ora de varese vorore di vagredere di vado da landi di gidedu di data yapa camando do dossi elige tre Lord give every one of us a vision of ministering to people, of impacting people. Alavarusa ferrigero de borrosi casate. Ye bovavusha freci criste ketre. Abrasta fradaradore secarinia rideldo donda davo ruge de dida la cetre ketra cata. Yavra gioro do borra de vesco. So many have been in the house of God for so many years. And you're rich with the Word and rich with the Spirit. And God is going to use that in these last days. He is going to use it in a mighty way. Husbands and wives, families... Jesus borosi katregrede de varigi oro sendere gere di vesto cotra ya soro de burrengo rido rigili di gada da landa daza da davo regere di boro soro o o o o o rashandala dele diglete scotola all of this labor never in vain is prepared vessels Yea, planted seed, oh, reshendele digli, and is bringing forth harvest, yet unseen. Oh, se papa traza de vigelos ilil, de la geru de vorosa, yav razovro avreste creste kece. Mandoro de bosto costele tiki cheke. Thank you, Lord. For the door that now stands open, will soon begin to close. 
as with swiftness and acceleration this final season goes. And yet there is a remnant that still must enter in. And once they've taken their place in the kingdom, then the time of sorrows will begin. So hearken to the Spirit, for He speaks of things to come. And let your heart be strengthened, and let the Father's will be done by being mindful of His presence in every step that you take and by staying filled with the Spirit an impact upon many lives you will make and His presence will overtake you and His glory men will see and Jesus will be glorified in you and in me. So let's rise in power. Let's seek His face alone. For soon we will be gathered to our eternal home. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your blessing upon this house, your spirit upon these people, and for equipping them and preparing them for their assignment in these last days. In Jesus' mighty name, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Receive that word. Glory be to God. Thank you for that. Hallelujah. Well, before we go tonight, I'd like to bless Brother Marty with an offering. If you need an offering envelope, raise up your hand. Our ushers are in the back. They will bring one over to you. Anyone at all need one, just raise your hand up. As always, make it out a check. Make it out to Zoe, ZCF, or Zoe Christian Fellowship. We'll give him one check here at the end. Everything in the offering is going to Brother Marty. Don't have to designate it for anything. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Sometimes we can step away from the things we should be doing in the realm of the Spirit, praying in the Spirit like we should. Of course, there's always pressure from other people. Other people think it's weird and it's not right and it's not God, not something we do anymore. No, but it is. The enemy will use any kind of pressure or any kind of tactic to get you to not pray in the Spirit. And if he can't get you to stop... He'll get you just praying the Spirit. Right. Right. And Paul said, I pray both. both. 
With the understanding? And in the Spirit. It's important that we do both. Come on, ushers. When we were, we were in school, we were always taught that praying in the Spirit allows you to pray for things you don't know yet. You tap into the things that the plans and purposes of God, and you can pray them. When you pray with the understanding, all you can do is pray with what you know. But the, your faith is on the things of understanding. I can't put faith on what I don't understand, what I don't know. But it's still important that you pray both. You, 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 need, to, you need to pray both. Don't get on one side or just on the other. Get on the place where you pray with the understanding and you pray with what you know. Pray in the Spirit. Pray in both. Keep it going. Glory to God. All right, tomorrow we're here, normal time, 10 o'clock. Come with shouting. <laughs> <laughs> Going home, get yourself some, some time. If you're, if you're here today, if, if being baptized in the Spirit is something new, um, get on back to the table. Empowered for living. Empowered for living. Go back there and get that. Listen to it. Listen to it by tomorrow. We got time. What time is it now? 7.30. Boy, he let you out early. 7.30. You got over 12 hours. Nobody sleeps here 12 hours. 12, 13, 14, 14 hours at least. You got to... You can take one of those hours and sit them down and listen to it. It'll be important for you. Get your faith put on there and then just uh, come in here tomorrow, get hands laid on you, receive it. Oh, there you go. Don't even... Just come on in with it. <laughs> even better. All right. Head on back on the table there. If you're wondering which one it is, my wife will make sure she points you in the right direction. Have a great rest of the